Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Today I've got a friend of mine, uh, Dawn Thompson. She is uh, a gospel worker in Cleckheaton and uh, many other things, but rather than me waffle on and talk all about her, she can introduce herself. How are you doing, Dawn? I'm all right, thank you. Good. Um, yeah, so Cleckheaton, just to clarify, is in West Yorkshire. It's a small little old working class town. Um, mill workers generally, um, of about 17,000 people. Um, and it's part of the Spen Valley, which is two other towns that run alongside Cleck, uh, along the bottom of the valley. And that is a population of about 50,000 people. Um, and there hasn't been a church or gospel church there for, we reckon, probably nearly a century. Wow. Wow. And some people might have heard of Cleck Eaton, and if they're wondering uh, why, why will that be then, Dawn? Because my husband's very loud about it. <laughs> yeah, so you're married to Graham Thompson, a church planter, yeah. uh, who is part of Medhurst and has done a number of these uh, podcasts, uh, one of the co-hosts. Uh, so what's it like then, being married to a church planter in a very small town uh, with no other gospel churches for miles around? <laughs> give me an easy question to start with um what's it like I, I, I it's it's life I don't know any different it just is what it is it's tough at times it's uh challenging it's great fun it's um hard work but we're here because God's called us here so we just have to get on with it yeah so when was that God called you because when I first met you you were in a larger city centre church in Huddersfield and uh, what was the process to get you to leave? First of all, uh, your jobs, you were both teachers and uh, you gave up a lot uh, to move to Cleckheaton. What brought that about? Uh, it's all Graham's fault. <laughs> um, no, so maybe about um, 10 years ago. So we were we were married. We had uh, Jude at that point was like two, maybe three. Um, and Graham felt a call into going to ministry. Um, and we kind of checked out with the church that we were in at the time, whether they could offer him like an apprenticeship type role, but they didn't feel they could. Um, and at the time, there was um, a guy moving up from London to plant a church in Huddersfield, which is Graham's hometown. And he um, offered Graham the opportunity to train alongside him um, and do some um, remote study alongside that. So we moved to Huddersfield. Um, we were there for six years, I think. Mm. Um, and in that time, Graham did various bits of training, um, on the ground training, as well as doing remote um, learning, which was really helpful. So he was an apprentice, then he became a um, a uh head worker then he became the assistant pastor um and then we had a period of about 18 months where he was um looking at helping a, a church in one of the outlying towns to Huddersfield um what's it called regenerate no that's not the right word revitalize that's the one revitalize um that failed pretty spectacularly um and so we moved back to Huddersfield and by that point Graham's contract was running out and we knew that we didn't want to stay we'd always both of us actually had always had a, a heart for planting um I grew up in a fairly 
big-ish church. I mean, in West Yorkshire, 80 is a big church. Um, and I always felt that was too big. When a church gets that big, it should be looking at planting. Mm. Um, and at the time we were thinking about this, my sister lived on one of the big council estates just up the road. And we were like, yeah, there needs to be a church there. Um, but then, you know, God's got other plans. Um, and he moved us to Huddersfield. But we were looking for areas where there was no gospel witness. Um, and Graham and a few of the other pastors in West Yorkshire sat down, looked at a map, and there was this this valley that's just mm-hmm. empty. It's surrounded by churches. Yeah. But um, people don't travel out. Um, they, they might travel out for a night out, or they might go into the main towns of... Leeds or Bradford for a meal or to go to the cinema but for the shopping for their for their for their general social lives everything's in town Mm. um so they're not going to come across Christians where there are Christians so that was how we ended up in the Spen Valley yeah so we we, you shared a little bit about Graham Uh, we understood Graham did a a ministry traineeship and, and attempted a revitalization so you've got two interesting things that I want to look at there. So once the revitalization failed spectacularly, as you say, uh, and then, so that's one thing to put people off from ministry full stop, never mind uh, attempting to plant. And then uh, also what brought you into the ministry? Because you, was it right you were working at the time when Graham was a ministry training? Yeah, so um, I... I, <laughs> Graham was a kept man for quite a while. <laughs> so I, I I worked as a teacher. So pre having uh, our our son, I worked full time as a teacher, and then um, after having uh, Jude, I went down to part time, and that fluctuated and changed um, over various different times. But pretty much, um, it me working part time meant that Graham that we could afford for Graham to not work, although he did work part-time for a year, but then not work with some financial support from the church for a couple of years before he then began getting a, um, a an income, a full income. Um, how did I get into it? I don't know. I just kind of fell into it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a strange thing, isn't it? So, I've yeah, I've always done stuff within church that usually – children's youth work being a teacher you ended up in that work anyway um when we moved to Huddersfield um I got along very very well with the pastor's wife and she was really good actually at um helping me to to well she discipled me and then I was like actually this is just like teaching except you're teaching the bible so why would I not want to do this um, and so I just started doing it primarily with the students in Huddersfield because there's, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know, I just fell into it naturally. And its I really enjoyed it. I love doing it. It's so much, I was an RE teacher. So, you know, in the classroom of 30 kids who don't want to be there, but you do get the opportunity to teach the gospel every once in a while. Why would you not do that? Yeah. To suddenly having a one-to-ones where you just, look, here's the Bible. Let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. It's, just, it's a no-brainer. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, so we also, before we came on air, we were we were chatting about uh, your recent stint at the Hub Conference, uh, speaking to people who were investigating ministry 
and uh, you mentioned how everyone seems really excited and, and really keen. And uh, I think one of the things that happened with me when I first started in ministry was I had rose-tinted glasses. I thought everything was going to be amazing. thought it would be a piece of cake. And to be fair, that didn't last very long. Them glasses came off after about a fortnight. <laughs> but uh, the reality is ministry can be tough. You've already shared a little bit about sacrifices that were made, whether that be financial. Uh, Graham was training with a, a small stipend and it needed you to work full time. And then it came to both of you giving up teaching roles to enter into ministry. So how was that looked at? Was, was this church that you went to, were you sent out with uh, a big uh, bag of funding and, uh, and a lot of people to plant this church? How was that transition from being in a large city church that where you got discipled and had friends and money <laughs> into a small church in the in the middle of the Spend Valley? Tough, in, in all honesty. Um, so I'd gone from, so we, we planted five years ago in August mm. um, and I still worked for a year, um, but I was teaching two days a week and then the other three days um, I'd been set aside for ministry. And I, I was pretty much, you know, rose-coloured glasses, moving to this new place, lots of opportunities to get to know people, spend time with the church family that we'd created, um, get to know them, do lots of discipling. Um, but it didn't take long before I kind of found myself wandering around the house those three days of the week, twiddling my thumbs, going, what, what am I supposed to do with my time? Because mm. um, we didn't know anyone here. And um, we planted with a cohort of 10 people not all of whom were able because uh, they worked during the day or up for meeting up with um, me. Um, I didn't take it personally. I tried not to anyway. <laughs> uh, so that, that was tough, but it didn't take, it took time for things to, to grow. Um, and it, it was about, it took a year. So the first year, sorry, it, of Spen Valley Church, I was working two days a week, but we were growing in terms of the people who were dropping in and visiting were all women. And I, there wasn't enough time in my three days, mm. uh, well, two days, because I was working another day at home um, for teaching work. Um, those two days, there wasn't enough time to see people who wanted to be seen and to get into the community. That was a big thing that I couldn't do. Yeah. Um, so the church decided that, they would find the money and employ me to work for them um, on a part-time basis. Um, essentially, they, they didn't quite lift my teacher salary because that would be ridiculous, but they did um, kind of go, right, what you need, we'll raise it. Yeah. And that was that. And that's, that's how it worked. And from that point, that meant that I could get into the community and get to know people because that was the bit that was lacking. Yeah. Um, and then also I had much more time then to spend with the church family mm. and they were more keen then at that point to do that because mm. it's it's tough initially coming from all of the people that we first brought with us had come from I don't quite know how to say this it's hard in a non-West Yorkshire context but they're very conservative and one-to-one -one discipling is not common. It's not something that churches do. You go to church on a Sunday, you have your midweek, and that's that. Mm -hmm. Or you serve in the mums and tots or what, or the kids' clubs or whatever. But in terms of sitting down one-to-one, -one, um, reading the Bible together, talking about 
struggles and and how God's changing it not something that's done so that was a tough reset for all of us initially and not everyone was up for that um and they just walked eventually um but that's another story yeah yeah so there we go we we, we've we've moved from uh, a context that was familiar into a a new area where nobody was from Uh, there's there's financial pressures there's Yeah, there's just getting used to a new church culture. That's a pressure in itself. So yeah. you, you went with what some people would say, especially in our context, to go with 10 people is, is is not a bad start, really. To raise 10 people is almost impossible. So yeah. you started off well. Uh, there was a, a salary uh, for the two years. It might not have been what you were used to, but things, things were uh, going well. But then, like you say, a couple of months in or years in and then, the reality of what church looks like, um, people leave. Why do you think that was? Was that just unrealistic expectations or is it just the reality of planting in a tough place? I think it's probably both. I think there were some people who were not happy where they were and used a plant as an opportunity to get out. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps with the mindset of I can make this church more of what I want rather than agreeing with the vision. Um, that was pretty clear, very well set out from the start. And as well, I, it is hard. And people, not everyone is good at or willing to make the sacrifices that you need to get to know people cold. It, it's hard work. Yeah. Um, not everyone's willing to do that. So that, I think that's partly why people walked, because it was too hard. Yeah. And that's not uncommon <laughs> in church planting, is it? It happens all the time. Yeah, so you've you've set off things. Uh, maybe these weren't as you first expected. When you get there, you, you've mentioned a few struggles and a few problems already, but you don't seem too discouraged. Why do you think that is? Then what keeps you motivated? What keeps you balanced? And what keeps that desire in your heart to continue within your ministry with a smile up on your face? Balanced. I've never been accused of being balanced before. <laughs> um I think part of it is experiences has taught me over over my whole Christian life that there are hard circumstances and there are hard things but God is always in control and God is always in charge and God not only allows those difficult things he plans plans them he puts them in our lives and he does it to make us more like him that's ultimately his desire for us Mm. and I think that helps when you hit a hard wall it's nice to be remembered okay the impact was hard but you're falling back into the arms of Jesus Mm. next time you get up and you hit another hard wall he's still going to be there to pick you up again I think that's the thing that keeps me going more than ever is that he's in control of it I'm here to do what he's called me to do when the rest is up to him Mm. and yes it's hard but life is hard I don't think you're going to come up, you're not going to meet anyone who doesn't say that life's hard at some point. So why should we be any different? And Jesus does say that the call of a Christian is to walk the hard path, isn't it? So if I'm walking an easy path, then I don't think I'm doing something right. Not that I want to be a martyr, but but to some extent, it's validation that we're doing what God wants us to do because it's not easy. Hmm. 
did that answer the question? Yeah, it did. No, it did well. And uh, so again, uh, you're here. You've shared about the challenges and and and, and the theology behind why you're still there. But what does some of the blessings that God brings? Because obviously there is challenges with any ministry, but there's also some blessings, isn't there? What are some of the blessings that you've seen throughout your ministry over the last five years? Um, the joy of watching people grow. Mm. I think when you're when you're so small. It's a blessing and a challenge because we all know each other very intimately. Um, but that means that you see the tiny centimetre of growth in the people that you're spending time with, whereas you wouldn't in a bigger church. You don't notice it. But because we're so interconnected, you see it. And that's a joy. It's a joy when someone who um, is is having a, a hard time, who six months ago would have keeled over and not, not been able to get out of bed, is now going okay it's hard but I can I can get myself out of bed because I know that I've got the support of my family and I know that I can trust in Jesus because yeah it's hard but you know we have a phrase in our church God is always sovereign and always good Mm. and it's one that we reiterate to each other all the time because it's important to remember that however difficult life is God's in charge and he's got it Mm. and he's not he's not going to let go so that's yeah. a great blessing. Being being on a front row seat to watching people become more like Jesus is amazing. Yeah, and I, I think again we we forget, don't we? Often we look at what success is, and we 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 think, well, we'll start small and we'll grow. That's a measure of success. And and in some places, numerical growth will happen, and it and, and it's to be expected. And even in Hard places, we want to see growth or we wouldn't be there in the first place. But that isn't always a measure of success. But I think, like you say, the spiritual growth of the members is something that's exciting. But you also touched on something there, which is, uh, I don't think you said it specifically, but people struggling to get out of bed and depression and mental health issues are some of the the biggest uh, social problems that we face in our communities. So just explain a little bit more about uh, some of your experience, what you do, and how you support members in your community. Um, that's an open goal, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that we we often joke in our church that in order to be a member of our church, you need to have some kind of mental health diagnosis. Um, and, and we joke about it because there's a big element of truth to mm-hmm. it. We have a lot of our members who struggle with various uh, types of depression, anxiety. Um, Jude, our son, has a um, a diagnosis of ADHD, and that brings with it um, some mental health issues. Mm. Graham has his own um, issues too. He's had bouts of um, depression here and there over over the years. Um, the one thing I've learned um, in dealing with anyone who has depression is that you're never going to be <laughs> you're never going to solve it. Mm. You can't fix it. It's an unfixable thing. Um, but I think the big thing is that as a Christian, I'm called to always point people to Jesus. And when people are covered in the black cloud of depression or anxiety or whatever, they can't see Jesus. So you've got to show him. Mm. And that's that's the best thing that we can do. Um, for a while, um, just before COVID, um, I'd gotten to know some of the Lumber Mums locally through doing a Mums and Tots um, and 
we had we set up between us uh, a mental health support group just through chatting we discovered that there was about half a dozen of the mums who all suffered to varying degrees with depression and anxiety and we just said why don't we get together and just chat and you know give people the opportunity to talk about what's going on and maybe help one another um, and we did that for quite a while uh, COVID stopped it um, but that for a while that was a really good opportunity I wouldn't say it was an an overt gospel opportunity mm. but where you talk about someone says to you how do you deal with grief for example I was like oh well actually when I went through that I had you know I knew that God was in charge and I had my Christian family around me and all those kind of things that are just alien to people who have never been in church or never seen what real Christians look like yeah yeah awesome like you say it's uh, sometimes it's thinking outside the box if we can't get a group of people where we gather uh, let's go and join a group of people where they gather and uh, with the intention of being friends and supporting them but also seeking out every gospel opportunity yeah and so how, how have you found that then because being in Clec you don't have a building and uh, the only time you, you use it would be in the school holidays for kids club or on a Sunday so how have you found that? What ways other than the mental health group have you found to engage with the local community, to befriend them and to share the gospel with them? Uh, so because my time is deliberately set aside so that I can do that, mm. I've we, I, we have proactively looked for ways to get stuck in. So um, the school where we meet has an old show start centre um, that when show start was lost, they kept um and they they kept funding it so it kind of runs on a show start basis um through the local authority but they run um a mother and toddler group a stay and play group twice a week which I just volunteered for uh, so I've been doing that since I started working for the church so four years ago and obviously there was a blip for COVID yeah. um yeah. but I just twice a week in there with mums and toddlers uh getting to know mums getting to know kids, getting to know families, actually. Um, and then through that, some of those older children came to the first holiday club we did pre-COVID. Um, and then those relationships have kept going because we've gotten to know the older children. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm often around at school, they asked me to do all sorts of stuff. So help out at the Christmas fair, help out at the at the um, summer fair, whatever. So yeah, I just recognise face. The kids recognise me. The, the grown-ups might not have a clue who I am, but the kids do. Um, and what else do we do? Our, our local library runs a story time as well, so I go and help out with that. That's a couple of hours once a week. And it's again, it's meeting mums with preschoolers, um, but it's a whole different group of people. So... That's that's helpful as well. I volunteer a couple of shifts in the one of the local charity shops. That just gets me in town. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a way to I recognise faces. Um, there'll be some people who come in the shop um, every time I'm working and we'll chat. Mm-hmm. You never know. You never know where those links are gonna are gonna um, lead to. But it's just it's just about being out and about in the community. Yeah. Yeah, very similar to what missionaries do when they, they grow, go abroad to a, a, a community where there's no churches, they just 
got to get in and get stuck in and get known and serve and, and build relationships uh, to earn these opportunities to, to share the gospel. It's exciting to see, but it's also very busy. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, myself and uh, my family popped in just a surprise visit to say hello for a quick cuppa on the way to Manchester. And we only saw you for a few moments because you were yes. popping out to choir yeah. practice. Yeah. So from doing uh, the kids' work on a morning to working in a charity shop in an afternoon to doing something on the evening, you seem very busy. So how do you fit in, first of all, your role as a gospel worker, uh, as a planter's wife and, and, and as a mother? How do you balance that work? I, I, I wrote down the answer to that question was, I'm not sure I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think an honest answer is that every day just just happens yeah. and you try your best to balance as much as you can. Um, one of the things, everyone, I think we've all got, I don't know if the right phrase is to call it red lines, we've all got things that we're not willing to compromise on. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's making sure that every day I have some time with Jude yeah. and that's that's Graham not so much but, <laughs> but, but Jude definitely um no, that's not true about Graham um but, um and actually that's and I I won't sacrifice too much time with him although as he's getting older now he's more and more he's like Mum, are you going out so I can have the house to myself? <laughs> and that's fine. It's it's um it's quite nice that he's independent. Yeah. But one of the things that we noticed actually, Graham and I, was that we everything obviously stopped during COVID. Mm. Um, and then we got back going and we got back going too fast at a pace that we couldn't maintain. Yeah. Um, so so Graham fell over a bit last May, had a bad May, um, had some time off. And during that time off, we kind of went, hang on a minute, you and I are not in the house mm. at the same time more than once during the week. We need to look at that. Yeah. And so we sat down and we looked at what we could do to make sure that he and I were spending time together. That's not, and that's the other thing, I think, as, yeah, gospel worker, wife, mother, you know, we we're, there are some times, the only time that Graham and I see each other is when you get into bed at night and you end up having your your powwow chat about what you've done all day and what who's got what issue who's doing what and <laughs> who's fallen over today in bed at half past 10 at night yeah. and that's just not healthy um so do I always balance it no but it's a work in progress yeah yeah, yeah and, and I think it's for, for most people in church plants I think they'll all go through a similar process and I know I did and many of us did and I think it's a question of doing that. We've got to be pioneering. We've got to be uh, thinking outside the box and yeah. working off timetable because that's yeah. the, the 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 mission we're on. But our mission changes and evolves, and we've got to be willing to change our practice uh, yeah. with how the church and, and the ministry changes, don't we? And I think sometimes we can forget that we once we become an established church, or other areas become more formal we, we still try and function how we did at the start and you just end up burning yourself out yeah. so yeah it's in, in, uh, interesting to see how uh, even if we do have safeguards for the things we love and treasure the most sometimes our ministry can impede can it it does and you, I think you just you're right you've got to be flexible yeah, and that's yeah. one of the that's one of the things that because Graham, Graham and I were both teachers it's an inbuilt way that you learn how to be better 
So whenever you're teacher training, actually through your teaching career, you're taught to assess your performance based on not just based on what you've done. You're taught to constantly self-reevaluate. And I think for both of us, that's been quite helpful. So you have that constant desire, I suppose, to look at, right, is this working? How can I better use my time? Where do I need to put more time into family um or xyz and it's constant reevaluation rather than getting stuck into patterns of this is what i do so i'm going to keep going until i see the fruit that's not always helpful yeah yeah and, and again even when you have those safeguards in place so you, you you can assess all you like but you still need opportunities to rest and yeah. to recuperate and uh yeah as much as and as much as you want to rest and you make time to rest, finding somewhere to do that is 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 necessary also. So that's one of the things we try and do with Medhurst Ministries is we we are aware of the need of many pastors and it's talked a lot about pastors who struggle with mental health or pastors who burn out and they're exhausted. But we don't hear much about what goes on for the women when they're tired, when they're exhausted and when they need a break as well. So Medhurst Ministry... Uh, one of the things we were guilty of at the start was we were very focused upon the pastor and to the detriment really of of the wife, the female gospel worker and, and the children. So uh, what ways have we changed as a ministry and how helpful uh, and necessary do you think some of the work that we're doing is for female gospel workers and pastors, wives and the families? I think, I think you might be being a bit harsh on yourself. I think as Medhurst was born, it was born out of that desire to serve the family. So the family retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's be honest, that it's Jude's favourite week of the year. If he could do that every holiday, he would. <laughs> um, he absolutely loves it. Yeah. And it's because he gets so much out of it, it's much easier for us to relax. Mm. Um, and, and what am I saying? And that's really important. I think for the the women, I think I think the desire's always been there. It's just been practicalities, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Getting someone set aside to run what you do for the men, for the women, has yeah. has made a massive difference. Yeah. Um, so having Rachel on board to do that is what's made the difference. So we've got um that we had that a few days away in September, was it? Yeah. I, back back in yeah end of September beginning of September. <laughs> um and that that is that's really special that is really special just having that it wasn't it's like 48 hours if that just time away with other women who have the same difficulties the same passion um who get what ministry is like in a hard place and you don't need to explain or even justify Mm. what what you do makes a massive difference and then just having that opportunity to share what God's doing, to share in the word, to share experiences, to glean wisdom from people who've been doing it longer than you is amazing. But there's also that chance to just sit and to just be, because let's face it, in the busy life of ministry, you don't really get that. Mm. You don't get time to just sit and go, oh, actually, this is okay for me to sit and just think for a few minutes because I'm not dashing here, there, everywhere. And that's that's good. It's been invaluable in terms of giving time to rest. And because it's spread out over the year, so we've got the 
the retreat in October, the women's thing was September-ish. And then um, the weekend then in June, it spread out through the year. So you know you've got those rest times coming. Mm. And you know that you can relax and you can enjoy that. And um, it it helps then to make sure that you are resting the rest of the time as well because it changes your perspective, I think. Yes. Yeah, encouraging to hear. And I think for me, the, the frustration was, like you say, not having... Um, any, anyone able to because a lot of the women working uh, had younger children were, were busy in their ministry so for Rachel to get on board the time was just right as in our children were older the uh, the church we our role within the church had changed so it was a unique time and and and, and, and a providential one really for her to, to come on board but what I, I think I like is beyond both of our roles as employees of, of Medhurst is the dynamics and the relationships of the network member churches and particularly the women who were on Medhurst Women and the friendships that are developing. Just share a little bit about the difference that makes, the friendships that you have that are outside of the retreats where you can contact one another and, and support one another that way. Yes, I think that's that's really valuable, isn't it? That um there are I mean if you look at the the list of the women of women that are on uh the Medhurst women it's I don't even know how many it is. I've never counted, but it's a fair few. Mm. And just knowing that at the touch of a of a button on your phone, you can get someone on the other end of the phone who can listen to your tale of war and then tell you to get over yourself. <laughs> it, it's good. It's really good. Or we'll listen to what's going on and point you to Jesus or whatever you need. It's knowing that there are women out there who will do that and who can do that. Yeah. Um, that's important. Uh, but as well, it's how you can serve other other women. So our nearest church, um, Meadows Church, Partner Church, is Middleton in Leeds. And they're literally like 15 minutes drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, well, how can we support one another? And it just, this just, just was born out of necessity, really. Like over the summer, we kind of merged our services. So they have a service on a Sunday afternoon and we have our, one uh, church service on a Sunday morning and we said well if you come to us in the morning we'll come to you in the afternoon and just by doing that over the summer six weeks holiday we potentially double our numbers and encourage one another and yeah. um, I think what we didn't foresee which perhaps we should have done through yeah. through that was the birth of relationships member to member yeah so I knew the um the church the um, pastor's wife and the woman's worker there um, but I didn't know the other members. Uh, and Graham had been there a few times and preached, but we'd not been, blah, 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 blah. But we just took our whole membership, our people who went on holiday went, and they all came to us. And so we all got to know each other. And that was really, really beneficial to the point where we're actually going to do that uh, once every, I think it's a quarter. So they're, we're doing that on this Sunday. So they're coming to us Sunday morning. We're going to them Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And again, that for me was the biggest motivator for setting up Medhurst Ministries was because obviously when we first started, I knew mm. everyone was struggling financially, but we didn't have money to give at that time. Uh, and I knew people were struggling with people and we didn't have people to give at the time. But I think the biggest discouragement for every worker, whether it be the pastor, the gospel worker, and even the church members was the feeling of isolation that there were just a handful of Christians in a, in a, 
in an isolated town, feeling isolated and disjointed from the rest of the church. So to see a group of Christians, members and gospel workers who are now uh, less lonely, but encouraging one another is really, uh, yeah, the first box ticked on what we set out to do with Medair. So that's really encouraging that. But again, just before we finish, you mentioned something there that we weren't planning on talking about, but like struck a nerve really and, and, and kind of, yeah, it's just sad that you, you, you feel, and you're not the only person who've said this, but a lot of female gospel workers feel the need to justify what mm. they do. Can you just unpack that a little bit and explain what are some of the reasons why you feel you've got to justify your role as a gospel worker in a small town? I think I think the, ob- the obvious reason is that where, where we go looking for money, mm. people say you've got one and a half workers or a tiny church, how do you justify that? Because more and more people in bigger churches, sorry, generally, talking completely and utterly generalistically, mm. um, don't get that in order to reach women in a matriarchal society, you've got to have women on the ground. Mm. As, as good as Graham is at his job, he can't go sit in with a bunch of women and start talking about women's stuff, because let's face it, he wouldn't have a clue and he'd be really embarrassed and they would have the time of their lives Mm -hmm. but it's not helpful um whereas I can just slot into that and the women of our church can do that too Mm -hmm. um the need to justify I think comes from people just not getting it Mm -hmm. not getting that you have step back not getting the the big picture the long graft Mm -hmm. of what what we're doing here so we've been here five years when we hit the three-year mark um, there were other supporting churches around us who were going, why are you not growing? Yeah. Why have you not got more people? What are you not doing to get Christians from your local area to join your church? Yeah. And honestly, and to some extent, it's no fault of their own, they don't get that they just are not Christians where we are. <laughs> it's an alien concept for most people who've grown up in Christendom, being surrounded by Christians that all their life, yeah. get that you've got whole parts of the country that are just there are no Christians yeah. so you can set up your store and you can offer a million pounds for every Christian that came through your door and you still wouldn't get any yeah that exactly is is, is one of my greatest frustrations and, and it's I think the fault of the strategists and mm-hmm. uh, the church leaders and directors and funders who see planting a church is basically sending and equipping a, a group of professionals to move to a, a city or a large town to attract transient Christians. Yeah. Whereas what we are doing is is, is missional. We're going to a, a dark place without a gospel light and that's what we're doing. We're, we're being gospel lights. We're, we're, we're not uh, planting a group of Christians. A small group of Christians are going to an area to, to spend years and possibly even decades preaching the gospel in the hope that people will get saved and then a church will form. So most of these city centre churches uh, don't have to do that groundwork. They just attract Christians. And then the more Christians you have, the likelihood is that one or two conversions will come out of relationships. But we are missionally on the ground. And I suppose the Sunday services, that feeds us to do the job during the week. It's not about the Sunday service. It's about living seven days a week in community, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And and sad that that needs to be justified and 
explained. <laughs> it is, but I, I think we're getting to the point where now it's it's not as common as it used to be. Yeah. And more and more people are, uh, even if they're not getting it, they're at least willing to answer. We're not. It's not as dismissive mm. as it once was. That's 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 the optimist in you there. Um, that is true. That is true. <laughs> but you know, it's right. It's good. But just another example of you being half full rather than half empty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, Don, it's 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 uh, been a blessing to to chat with you. Been really encouraging. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish? I don't think so. Yeah. And I'm really um, glad that you kept your, your accent on instead of putting your posh FIEC one on. <laughs> and do you know what? I didn't even have to try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Sorry, what were you going to say there before I took I, I think it's worth saying um, on record, and you need to leave this bit in, that just thank you. Yeah. Thank you for all the work that you do because all of this wouldn't be possible without you. And I know it's through the grace of God, but it's also your vision. Thanks. Oh, encouraging. Jeez, I just pinched it off somebody else. <laughs> Great. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice one. Cheers, Don. Thanks for joining me on the in context. Oh, thank you. Cheers.